The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me? Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. This morning we look at two verses together. Verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, maybe you're like me, and you've heard that verse a thousand times before. You've quoted that verse before. But you find yourself this morning wondering, what does this have to do with what we've been studying together in Hebrews? What does this have to do with not falling away as the Israelites fell away in the wilderness, right? I mean, that's, that's where the writer of Hebrews has had us now in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. And the reality of, of God's Word, the nature of God's Word is that these verses, they are not just random thoughts. They are links in a chain. I've heard it said. They're not, you know, pearls in a strand, They're links in a chain. They work together. They build on to one another. They are connected to one another. And there there is a connection here. And I think it's important for us as we begin to unpack these two verses to really understand this connection. We know for sure that there's a connection here. And the way that we know for sure that there's a connection here is because of the words used In the verse, how does the verse 12 begin? For. For the word of God. For is um, a word that that connects things together. It's It's a continual thought, a connection from what's come before in this command from God to not fall away, to keep the faith, not follow the example of the Israelites. There is a direct connection from those teachings that we've been walking through for months together to what God's Word teaches us about itself. There's a connection here. So let's look at this connection before we dig into these verses. To really begin to understand it, we've got to go back, not just to verse 11, though it is important, but we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of Hebrews. You certainly know it by now. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The writer of Hebrews begins the entire letter with this fundamental truth that God has spoken. That God has spoken. That is the foundational, fundamental truth, the whole book of Hebrews. That God has disclosed himself to us. That's what it means for God to have spoken. It means for God to disclose himself to us, to make himself known to us. Now, we live, you live, I live, we have lived in a culture, in a place, in a time, in a church where the reality that God has spoken has been just regularly accepted. And I think maybe for some of us, We've grown numb or it's never even occurred to us how absolutely amazing that reality is. That the God of the universe, the creator, the eternal God has in his goodness and in his grace, out of his love, he has chosen to make himself known to us by speaking. That is Amazing. I think we regularly, we want to focus on these attributes of God that are so encouraging to our hearts, right? I mean, we want to focus on the fact that God is love. And it's true. The Word tells us that God is love. Do you realize that you could never know that God is love if God had not spoken that He is love? You would have never known it. The Scripture tells us that God has spoke creation into existence and that there is enough evidence of a God in creation to condemn the world, not to save the world. You can look at creation and say, wow, I don't think that this could have happened on its own, right? I mean, any real, rational, logical person cannot look at the intricacies of life and walk away without a belief that somebody had to put this together. It would, like, it would be like putting all the parts of a watch in a bag and shaking it until a watch forms. It's not going to happen. you got to have a watchmaker. you got to have a watchmaker. There has to be a maker that's knit all this together. There's enough evidence of the nature of God's Um, creative processes in nature to show us that there is a creator. But just on that alone, we could never understand the love of God. And He not spoken to us. As a matter of fact, it is out of His love that He has spoken. It is a loving thing for God to choose to disclose Himself to us. The writer of Hebrews tells us how he has done this in verse 1. That long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us through the prophets. That God first chose to disclose himself to us through his prophets. That his prophets are the one that brought the word of God to the people of God. First, and primarily so, through Moses. God 
delivered his word to Moses. Had God spoken to people before Moses? Yes. I mean, we just, we just spent a number of months together looking at the life of, of Abraham. Had God spoken to Abraham? Absolutely. Would we know that God spoke to Abraham? Had God not spoken to Moses to write it down? Maybe through some oral traditions, but not by picking up a book and reading and seeing. No, God spoke first through prophets. He disclosed Himself to His people through the prophets. Long ago, at many times and many ways. We preached that verse. I don't need to rehash it this morning. That's the first way. And then the writer of Hebrews says, but there's a better way that God has spoken. There's a better way that God has disclosed Himself. And He has now, in these last days, He's disclosed Himself. He's spoken to us through His, through His Son. And why is that better? Because His Son is the exact imprint, the very nature, the exact representation of God Himself. When Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us and we were able to see His glory, we were able to see in Him God Himself. He is God. And as He came and He spoke, as He lived, He disclosed to us more of who God is. And then God has used His apostles bringing the New Testament to us. And what we have now compiled before us is God's self-disclosure of Himself. The words of God given to us through prophets, through Christ, through apostles. We have His Word to show us who God is. I've been accused before of sort of being a, I don't know what the word is. You know, you, you, you worship the word more than you worship God. You know, um, which is just silly, just silly. You know, the word of God, it is, it is not the basis of our salvation. It's not. But it absolutely is the basis of our knowledge that we would not know salvation. We would not know God. We would not know of His love, of His grace, of His mercy, of the work of Christ, of our sinfulness, our need for a Savior. We wouldn't know these things were it not for the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13, 14, and 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord. But... How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We must hear from God. We must. We must hear from Him. If we want to believe, we must hear from Him. We must hear His Word. We must hear the good news. That's the language. Belief and the good news. How are they to believe 
unless they hear, unless someone preaches to them the good news. That language in Romans 10 is the exact same language used in Hebrews chapter 4. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is the people in the Exodus. This is the the Israelites. They heard the word of God delivered through Moses. They heard the word of God, but it did not benefit them. Why did it not benefit them? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief in what? Their unbelief in what they heard. What they heard. What did they hear? They hear from Moses, thus says the Lord. What did they fail to believe? The very words of God. It was the words of God that they heard and they did not believe. It is the words of God that must be heard in order to believe. It is God disclosing himself to his creation through his word so that they will believe. They heard. They did not believe. And their unbelief was their disobedience. Now this gets us closer to verse 12, verse 11. Let us, therefore... Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What sort of disobedience? The sort of disobedience that is hearing the word of God, God's disclosure to himself, and yet not believing. Not trusting. That's why the call, Hebrews 3, is... Verse 15, as it is said today, if you what? Hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you hear his word, when you hear his word, do not harden your hearts. This this radical, life-altering reality That long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now He speaks through His Son. And He is still speaking His Word, His self-disclosure to us today, just as He did in the Exodus, just as He did in Psalm 95 with David, just as He did in, in... the, the churches of these Hebrews here today in this very place, at this very moment, not through my words, but through his word, God is speaking. And if you hear his voice through his word, don't harden your hearts to it. Don't fall in the same kind of disobedience that they fell in, where they heard the word of God, yet they did not believe. God is still speaking now through his spirit by the means of his word. And his word is living and active. So church, strive to enter that rest. 
because God's word is still working now just as it was then. And it's God's word that does the work. It's God's word that does the work. It's God's word that enables us to strive to enter that work, that rest that we talked about last week. It's God's word that causes and brings belief and trust and obedience and faith. It's God's word. How do we not fall as they fell in the wilderness? We hear the word of God and we believe the word of God. And the good news is, this word that we hear, that we must believe, it is still working today. For the word of God is living and active. That's the connection. This is illustrated, this ability of the the word of God being the one that works in the heart of people to bring about change, to bring faith and obedience and repentance and trust. It's illustrated beautifully in an an Old Testament story. Josiah was uh, the young king of Judah. And he, he was greatly troubled by the state of of Israel. He was very bothered by the state of the temple. It was in it was in bad shape, dilapidated, not cared for, not looked after. And it bothered him because this is the temple of the Lord and because it was emblematic of the spiritual state of Israel. Israel was in bad shape spiritually. So he ordered his high priest, a man named Hilkah, to make some repairs. But this only cleaned up the outside of the temple, right? We got to spruce this place up. We got to make it look better. Well, one day the workers were working in there to, to, to repair the temples, and they found something that promised to do a whole lot more than just fix up the outside. 2 Kings 22, verse 8 says, And Micaiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now let that sink in just for a minute. They didn't even know where it was. Until Kai gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Well, now, because the word of God, the book of the law, that's the word of God. Now, because the word of God was reclaimed again, no longer was this just a superficial work. This became a supernatural work. And God in his goodness had blessed Israel by returning the one thing that had the ability to change a nation, the one thing that had the ability to change hearts, to bring salvation, joy, hope, and peace, God gave them again His Word. And so Josiah began to read the Word of God. It didn't take him very long before he had torn his clothes to lament 
what had been absent from Israel for so long. And starting with Josiah, a renewal spread through the house of Israel. And with it, a restoration of the blessings that came through faith. The covenant blessings of God. 2 Kings 23. Then the king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined in the covenant. This is what the word of God does. This is the nature of the word of God. This is what it means when it says that the word of God is living and it is active. It works to bring change. It works to bring renewal. It is the means through which God works to bring salvation in the hearts of people. What Josiah learned is the exact same thing that Peter wrote about in 1 Peter. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Same same language. Hebrews chapter 4. Keep the faith. Strive to enter the rest. Do not fall away. As you hear the word of God, do not find yourself in unbelief. Because the good news is that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We learn some things here in these verses about the very nature of God's Word. Let's look together. First thing we learn in verse 12 is that it is, by its nature, from God. For the Word of God is living and active. The writer of Hebrews has already shown us what he believes about the Old Testament, that it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, this is... David writing in Psalm 95, yet the writer of Hebrews says, no, it wasn't just David, it was the very Spirit of God that was speaking. We see in Hebrews 1 that in the beginning, long ago, at many times in many ways, it was the Father that spoke to the prophets, but in these last days He's spoken to us through His Son. What do you see? You put all these together. There's a the Trinitarian, full Godhead nature of the Word of God that it is the Father, it is the Son, it is the Holy Spirit all working together to disclose the totality of God to creation. 
And that even though it was human instruments that did the speaking or the writing, that it was ultimately God who did the authoring. The Bible is certainly composed of some 40 different authors, all of whom, all of whom are human. And they were real men, and they had real thoughts, and they were living in real circumstances, they were addressing real things, yet it was ultimately God who was speaking through these instruments, divinely inspired, 2 Corinthians or 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The words of the Bible are not inspired words of men. I know sometimes we say, well, the, God's word is inspired. What we don't want to say is that it was inspired men who did it, right? In other words, man, that was a great sermon this morning, brother. You was really inspired. It's not just inspirational people. It's not just inspired people. What the scriptures teach us about, our, about itself is that it's, it's not inspired in that way. No, it is expired by God. It is His breath breathed out. Breathed out. By God, from Him, to and through them. Second Peter chapter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What do we learn? very first thing about the nature of God's Word is that it is ultimately from God Himself. And because it has God as the ultimate author, it is profitable to us. And it is profitable to us because, secondly, it is living and active. For the Word of God is living and active. Because the Word of God has, as its author, its, as its author God, it is therefore authoritative and binding. As much on us as it was on them. Because God does not change. He is the same. God's Word is alive because He is alive. The Word of God is living because God is living. God is still working. Because God is still working, the Word of God is still active. And God still uses His Word in our hearts just as He did in Josiah's. It is His Word that does the work, church. It is His Word that changes hearts. And we don't need to help it along. His Word doesn't need smoke and mirrors. His Word doesn't need slick presentations. His Word doesn't need somebody hitting all the minor keys behind the preacher on the keyboard. 
His word does not need help. It is living. And it is active. This word that we have, this word that you have in your laps, it isn't just a collection of interesting facts and stories from our religious past. There is one overarching theme from the beginning to the end. And it is what God has done for the salvation of sinful people. It is the record of what God did to forgive sins so that we who are dead in trespasses might be alive in Christ. This is how the Word of God is living because it produces new life when it is heard and it is received in the hearts of sinful people. When God buys grace according to His purposes, through His sovereignty, plants His Word deep in the hearts of a sinner, opens their eyes out of the darkness to see the glorious light of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a mirror that we stare into and we see our true selves, our sinful conditions, our wicked hearts. How would we know? We wouldn't. We would go on in this self-delusion, this deception that has so many people held captive until we gaze into the Word of God and by His grace, He removes the veil and opens our eyes to the glorious grace of Jesus Christ and we look and we see ourselves and our need for a Savior and at the same time, we look and we see Christ Jesus. From the beginning to the end, one story that works in the hearts of dead people to cause them to come alive because the Word of God is living and it is active. It does the work. How does it do this work? It does this work because thirdly, it is penetrating and it is discerning. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The image of the Word as a sword is a common one in the Bible, right? And early on we learned the, the armor of God. And what is the sword? The sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This image from the revelation of the triumphant return of King Jesus. And what is it that comes out of his mouth. It's a sword, a double-edged sword. The image here is that of a short Roman sword. A short Roman sword called a Macarion, created for close hand-to-hand combat. It was devastating. And the Romans perfected its use. When you're up close and you're personal in combat, you don't want to be swinging one of these, you know, ginormous swords. No, it's short, it's fast, it's double edged. 
maximum effectiveness. That's the imagery here, that God's word is double-edged. As Jacob said, it is able both to save and to judge. This text describes its penetrating power, that it is able to pierce to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow. Now maybe you read that and you find yourself wondering, does this verse mean that there is some sort of difference between your soul and your spirit? It's able to, to divide the soul and the spirit. What's what the soul, you know, what, what is all of this? A lot of people have read into that. Here's what I would say, that that is not the point of the text. That this is allegory. How do I know that it's allegory? Because of the very next phrase. It's able to to pierce, to, to get into joints and marrow. Now, I could try all I want, but that's not going to get into my bone marrow. Not quite sharp enough, right? It's allegory. It's allegory. Able to pierce into the soul and the spirit, able to pierce into the joints and marrow, they're allegory. What's the point? The point is that this is a graphic illustration of the Word of God's power to penetrate deep into the innermost parts of man. That's the point. That God's Word has a penetrating power and ability to cut through the facade and to get to your heart. You see, you can fool a lot of folks. You can put on the Sunday best. You can say the right things. You can look the right way. You can pray the right words. You can be a whitewashed tomb, looking really good on the outside, but dead, sick, sinful on the inside. You can fool a lot of people, but the Word of God has the ability to cut straight through it. Why do we stand week after week going word for word? Because this word has an ability to cut through it. You can fool me, church. I can fool myself. But the word of God has a penetrating power. And when it penetrates, when it cuts deep, when it cuts through the facade, it discerns. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When the Word of God penetrates, when it penetrates within, its presence makes clear our true thoughts and attitudes. Right? Now, I've heard this for forever, it feels like. And I read that, and I, I, I read that as a negative. Anybody else? And I think the reason why I read that as a negative is because I know me. Because when you get in here, it's, 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 it's not good. Like, I know me. And I, I read that and I go, man, God's Word's able to penetrate and it's able to get in there and it's able to discern and it's able to see. And this is not a good thing for me, 
Church, this is not negative. This is really, really, really good news. Do you know why this is good news? This is good news because we need the Word of God to work in us to uncover in us the areas of unbelief. Why? Because it's unbelief that keeps us out of the rest. That's the point. Let the Word work in your heart. Let it cut deep. Hear it. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. Focus on it. Pray it. Ask God, God, would you work deep and would you work in my heart to bring to light the things that I don't even realize are there because I don't want to fall short. I need the Word to work to keep me believing. This is really good news. Work in me. Work in me. We take the Word of God which is living and active, is sharp and penetrating, And we pray that God would, by His grace, use it to uncover in us these areas of sinful unbelief. God, help me, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Man, this is just, this is the unshakable trust that when the Word of God is planted in our hearts, it will do the work. It will do the work. There's a story in history where that's just seen clearly in the life of a man named John Newton. Born and raised in a Christian home. As a young man, he left home to join the British Navy. Left this Christian home where he heard the word of God where these seeds were planted in his heart to join the Navy. And there in the Navy, began to chase after his own sinful desires. Eventually, he deserted. He deserted to Africa. Because there in Africa, he could live out all the desires of his sinful heart. And he eventually became, you probably know the story, a slave trader. And what we see in the life of John Newton is this, the reality of this saying that I've heard before. I don't know who said it, but sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. That's John Newton. Because eventually he found himself in chains. He was taken advantage of by people there in Africa. And the slave trader eventually became the slave. Well, he managed one day to escape. And he escaped to the sea and he found there a British merchant ship. And he was able to get on the board at that ship and use his knowledge that he gained from the British Navy to eventually become a shipmate. And as this British merchant ship was traveling back to Britain, it encountered a great storm. And the imagery there is of John Newton deep in the bowels of that ship, working pumps and bailing water and praying that God 
would save him. And in that moment of despair and darkness, the word of God that had been planted by a godly mother all those years ago began to work. And they brought him to repentance and faith. And when he arrived safely back, he went on to study theology, became a Puritan minister. We know him because he penned what is the most widely known hymn in history. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see how did John Newton begin to see? He began to see as the word of God worked in his heart, penetrating deep, discerning his thoughts and his intentions, opening his eyes to the areas of unbelief, to see his own sin and the grace offered in a Savior. The word of God is living and it is active. It is penetrating and it is discerning. And lastly, the word of God is inescapable and revealing. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nothing, nothing can escape the word of God. Nothing. Interestingly, there is a correlation here between the Word of God and the eyes of God. It is the Word of God that brings the eyes of God on the people of God. His Word works on everyone to reveal the inner man before the eyes of God. It uncovers every heart. It uncovers every act, every thought, every desire, and brings them before the very eyes of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Word of God works in us supernaturally to open ourselves up bare before a holy God and to work through us to destroy every argument. It lays us bare. It destroys all arguments. It renders mankind without an excuse. It works to reveal God to man and man to God. You cannot hide from the Word of God. You can try to minimize it. You can try to argue it away. You can try to claim it's silly. You can kind of try to claim it's just a bunch of random collection of old things that have passed away and we have moved on now to more progressive thoughts. You can try all you want, but I promise you, you will not escape it. You will be judged according to it. It is effective. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. It goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's the sovereign word of a sovereign God that works in a sovereign way to do as he sovereignly desires. The word of God is living and it is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It lays bare. It opens up. It reveals. It discerns. How do we enter that rest? Through the word of God working in us. That's how we entered the rest. It's really good news for those who believe the good news. Father, would you take your word and certainly plant it deep in our hearts and through it shape and fashion us into your likeness. God, we desperately want to strive to enter that rest. We do not want to fall in unbelief as the Israelites fell in unbelief, as they heard your word, yet they did not believe. And just as you had spoken to the prophets, and just as you have spoken through your son, and just as you have spoken through your apostles, you speak now through your word. May it work in us to reveal in us the places where unbelief, where sin reside. To open us bare before you. to show us that in Christ Jesus there is now therefore no condemnation but grace. We need your grace. It's found through your word. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.